I'd like to welcome everyone to the Florence Weinberg Show. Frank McKay here. Much more importantly, Dr. Florence Byam Weinberg is our very, uh, very special host. And uh, each and every week uh, we get uh, some of the most wonderful takes on uh, on things going on in society, politics, and uh, what a job she does. She's the author of 16 books, more on the way, and uh, she's the subject of a documentary. And uh, more importantly, she's our host of, of the Florence Weinberg Show. And uh, here she is again. Dr. Weinberg, how are you? I'm doing fine. Thank you, Frank. I hope you are, too. Yeah, no, I, I am. And uh, it's... Uh, it's usually our nation that we're worried about when we're <laughs> when we're talking, and uh, and you know you worry about the direction of our nation. Uh, what's your current thought on that? Well, I spoke last time about the Supreme Court, and uh, just right after the rulings came down, uh, and uh, I want to continue talking about, uh, in particular, about affirmative action and the impact it has. Uh, will have, uh, and so that's that's where I'm going today. All right. Well, listen, uh, it's uh, you know it's it's great to get your take on this. Uh, what's your uh, what's your take on the affirmative action uh, situation? It's uh, it's it's obviously a very uh, very polarizing issue, and uh, some people are passionate about it. Obviously, on both ends. Yep, how how true, and uh, the impact I think is greater than we think. Uh, so I just want to talk about it a little bit and how it relates to the Constitution, because uh, that was um, uh, that was the um, the opposition argument, that is the Supreme Court side argument last time, that by now it would have very little impact, so it isn't needed anymore. Uh, it, it's it's like uh, their ruling some some time back. Uh, the Supreme Court uh, allowed uh, uh, allowed the states to redistrict uh, for voting purposes, and it resulted in uh, the uh, Republican states all being gerrymandered, fiercely gerrymandered. Texas, for instance. Um, in the latest uh, redistricting, which was just last uh, last November, uh, two of the black um, uh, districts were uh, were amalgamated into one, and so they now have only one representative at Congress instead of two, and that sort of thing is going on all over in uh, in Republican states, because the uh, Supreme Court ruled that. Uh, the southern states no longer have um, any prejudices uh, towards black people, and therefore they're not going to redistrict according to race, um, which they obviously um, uh, they obviously had and still have, and the affirmative action ruling uh, proves that. So that's where I'm going today. Uh, well, listen, it's uh, let's. Uh, let's see where the, the idea that there's no prejudice against uh, African Americans and black uh, people of color is is, is silly. Uh, the uh, but the, that doesn't that that's too simplified to uh, to to say it like that. There's a lot more to it, which I'm sure you're going to share with us now. All right. Okay. Here we go. 
We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Life, liberty, happiness. Here is the foundation of American idealism. When we hear these words from the Declaration of Independence, we get teary-eyed and bless our nation for affording us these wonderful benefits. But are we facing reality? Do we all benefit from these ideals? Prejudice seems to have become a mainstay of today's Republican politics. Prejudice against blacks, Hispanics, Asians, and occasionally, and maybe not just occasionally, Jews, or any other minority. Consider Charlottesville, for instance, and the Nazi march with torches, chanting, the Jews will not replace us. And sadly, this prejudice is a specialty of a significant number of Caucasians, the whites among us, the small number of white supremacists that were represented at Char Charlottesville that day. Republicans are exhorted to hate and fear racial minorities of all kinds. The blacks applying for higher education, the Hispanics at our southern border, and let's not forget transgender, transgender children of all possible tar tar targets of a whole party's anger. These are the fewest, these kids are the fewest and most vulnerable, and how t intolerable it is to make them the butt of a whole party's fury. Schools and libraries are suspected of teaching and housing books on critical race theory, which is supposedly pro-black uh, pro theory, fomenting anger against, and the, that is this, and this movement is fomenting anger against teachers who might be teaching our nat nat national history regarding slavery. So in some towns like Kerrville here in Texas, police have interrogated librarians and school teachers. Uh, and there are many, uh, many districts where the teachers have removed any children's or youth's books with any mention of gay sex or just plain sex. To generalize, for some of us to be happy, we must deprive others of their liberty and consequently their happiness and perhaps sometimes their lives. Let me set this out a bit more. The dominant motivation seems to be feeling that if I don't get my just desserts by depriving you, who of course are less worthy than me, then grave injustice has been done to me. This is how a three-year-old child behaves when his sister tries to play with his teddy bear. He shouts, mine, mine, and, and, <laughs> and sticks his finger in her ear or pushes her to the floor. Yeah. It's actually a basic human instinct, the consideration of me first, you second, or not at all. Ultimately, it proves the theory of preservation of the fittest, strongest, and most aggressive, and it is also called greed. For me to thrive, I must denigrate and attack you. 
The recent Supreme Court rulings repealing affirmative action, as well as the new law allowing discrimination against gays seeking, uh, seeking business services, lead me to the following conclusion. Not only color, but, but your sex and sexual orientation play a leading role in the thinking of the court, as well as in Republican policy in general. Returning for a moment to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. If we are to have liberty, that is, to be free, we must uh, allow other people to pursue their own path to happiness, even though it might offend or scandalize some of us. If others are prevented, their unfreedom leads to unhappiness. This may lead in its extreme, in extreme form, to suicide. It has done so in the case of transgender young people who are cut off from receiving medical care. Or, if I'm prevented from marrying the person, marrying the person I love, my depression might bring me to take my own life. Hence, the Supreme Court's ruling in some cases might result in deprivation of liberty, happiness, and ultimately life itself. Let us look once more at the history of affirmative action and the repealing of the law and allowing colleges and universities to take such action to remedy the inequities in administrations to higher admissions. I'm sorry, inequities in, in admissions to higher education. These prevailed before President John F. Kennedy signed Executive Order 10925 on the 6th of March, 1961. Under that order, college applicants were to be treated equally without regard to race, color, religion, or nat national origin. The Civil Rights Act, based on the principle enacted by the Kennedy, Kennedy's executive order, was signed into law uh, three years later in 1964. However, discrimination based on sex was not initially included in the, in the proposed bill and was only added as an amendment in Title VII. Uh, Title VII has to do with employment. And it was added in an attempt to prevent the passage of the Civil Rights Act. And this is an amusing sideline here. Uh, there was a congressman from uh, Virginia. He was a Southern Democrat by the name of Howard Smith. He was chairman of the Rules Committee and a staunch opponent of civil rights and the Civil Rights uh, Act. Um, he, however, had let the bill, H.R. 7152, go to the full house under the threat of a discharge petition, and we can talk about that later, that what discharge petition is, if we get there. During the floor debate, he offered an amendment that added sex to the four original categories, race, color, religion, or national origin, but only uh, within Title VII of that bill, uh, which uh, is the Equal Employment Opportunity Regardless of Sex Bill, uh, that is, uh, Title VII um, adds that to the Civil Rights Act. Um, although Smith had supported the idea of an Equal Rights Amendment for women for nearly 20 years at that point, so that one thing he, he was in favor of, 
His amendment to the Civil Rights Bill was likely intended to kill the measure because he was aware that most fellow congressmen were violently opposed to granting females equal rights to employment for fear of competition. His plan, however, did not have the desired effect, and the bill was signed into law by President Lyndon Baines Johnson on uh, July 2, 1964. It is unsurprising that including sex was a late and lame addition to the list of factors to be considered in any civil rights action. Women have been considered as barely human for thousands of years. In Athens, our model for our basic democratic government plan, uh, in Athens, women were kept isolated in harems. They had no property rights or right to vote, and their male children were taken away from them in childhood to be raised in exclusively male company. This was the Greco-Roman tradition about women that comes down to us today. If the Christian tradition is no better. And one example of prejudice against women is the case of Mary Magdalene, the person to whom Jesus first appeared after his resurrection, who was identified with the prostitute who washed Jesus' feet with her tears and dried them with her hair at a banquet. In that gospel, and uh, that anecdote about the prostitute washing Jesus' uh, feet with her tears and drying and drying his hair with her, uh, drying his uh, feet with her hair. Uh, there is no mention of who that prostitute is. However, um, the uh, um, the monks who later edited the gospel uh, that Christians uh, today take as the direct word of God uh, uh, identified Mary Magdalene as a former prostitute, and. Uh, the monks could not tolerate the idea that Jesus had a female disciple who was on a par with the other, the other twelve, and so they had to denigrate and and smear her reputation. And I don't think very many people know that they think Mary Magdalene they take take it for granted that she was a former prostitute. Yeah, I mean it's honestly it's it's preached to by the uh, uh, even the the Catholic Church uh, has has backed that theory right i mean uh, i went to catholic church and uh, to catholic school for years and uh, i was told by by people that mary magdalene was a, a woman of ill repute yeah yeah and she was not no right and the only thing that the bible says about mary magdalene was that she had demons she had i think that jesus cleared her of seven demons uh, but we don't know what the demons were. Maybe she had uh, some kind of mental illness, but uh, that did not mean that she was a prostitute, for heaven's sake. Right. Uh, so it, it was the doing of uh, of the monks in early Christianity, who were, of course, exclusively male, carrying this uh, this anti-female tradition, this misogynistic tradition. Uh, which comes down in the church right now, in the Catholic Church certainly, where women cannot be priests or deacons or have any kind of real authority. Um, and so uh, it was not surprising then to come back uh, to, uh, to the uh, Civil Rights uh, Act. Uh, it was not surprising that the act originally uh, did not 
include women as a, a group uh, that was that was uh, discriminated against. Um, but we still are, by the way. We're not worth more than 80, 80 cents on the dollar for doing the same work that amazing. men do. Absolutely amazing. Anyway, so uh, English women, and consequently American women, and I'm, I'm going back to the beginning now, to uh, early, our early history, um, uh, and even now, in American women in many states were considered uh, chattels of their husband. That means they were property. And by the words, by the way, the words chattel and cattle derive from the same Latin root. So uh, that tells you something about the attitude to, uh, towards women also. Not only were they property, uh, they were just like those heads of cattle uh, out yeah. there in the field. Um, now, after my husband died in 1996, I had no access to our joint bank account until probate found the codicil in his will stating that I was his sole heir. It took the written word of my dead husband to allow me access to my own money, since it was a joint account, therefore ruled by my husband, by the male. Prejudice against women in, uh, in colleges and universities was also strong during the 1950s when uh, a friend and I, uh, both of us, went through uh, our, uh, uh, our advanced education. And this friend of mine, uh, Dr. Barbara Bowen, uh, who is a top authority in uh, French Renaissance studies, received her doctorate from Oxford University. And one day, only five out of the usual uh, 15 students came to the, the history class. They happened to be the female students. The Don, the professor and lecturer of the day, arrived, looked around, and said, Oh, I see there's nobody here. And he stalked out. The women complained to authorities, but were ignored. Even after 60 years of affirmative action, the attitude still prevails in some quarters. For blacks, the nation has been on a tortuous journey from slavery through Jim Crow and its barriers, to more opportunity and inclusion. Affirmative action was seen by its supporters to be a way to lessen discrimination. Opponents are now saying, enough already, the goal has already been reached. And so says the Supreme Court, reversing decades of precedents allowing for race as a consideration in admissions policies that make higher education and opportunity for future professional employment available to students who might otherwise not have access. Chief Justice John Roberts echoes the reasoning that also gutted the Voting Rights Act, which I uh, spoke of earlier, namely that the declining impact of race on our society makes race-based remedies for race-based problems obsolete. Uh, Roberts wrote, many universities have concluded, I'm quoting him now, many universities have concluded wrongly that the touchstone of an individual's identity is not challenged, challenges bested, skills built, or lessons learned, but the color of their skin. 
Our constitutional history does not tolerate that choice, unquote. Roberts is referring to Amendment 14, which provides that all men are treated, treated as equal under the laws. Our founding fathers did not include the words slavery, Negro, black, white, or colored in the Constitution. However, they allowed the slave trade to continue until 1880, and they gave slave states a, a disproportionate, disproportionate amount of power with the three-fifths and the Electoral College compromises, which were specifically about race. The Electoral College compromise has a heavy impact on our politics and governments to this very day. Passage of the 14th Amendment after the Civil War was intended to make race-specific remedies to compensate for slavery's harm. It was to correct decades of segregation and second-class citizenship under Jim Crow that affirmative action was born in John Kennedy's Executive Order 10925. Whether, it, uh, whether in employment or education, affirmative action recognized that talented applicants were denied opportunities because of direct racism. Talent needs opportunity to flourish. Affirmative action allows the talented colored applicants a, ch a chance to be let in. Here I insert an anecdote. I heard it years ago, but it applies perfectly here. A black African native, this is the anecdote, a black African native lives in an isolated village with no contact with outside cultures. She is a genius, equivalent in intellect to Einstein, and at the peak of her abilities, from knowing nothing at all about numbers or mathematics, she invents long division, or perhaps she invents fractions. The moral to that story is that in order to flourish, talent needs admission to places where it can develop its potential, where it can meet challenges and build skills and learn lessons. If it's not admitted, it can never learn them. Well, here are some quote, more quotations, um, and these are from the opposition to um, to uh, the uh, to the ruling of the uh, Supreme Court majority. Uh, the first one is from Justice Sonia Sotomayor, and the second one will be from Ketanji Brown Jackson. Okay, first Sotomayor, quote. Ignoring race will not equalize a society that is racially unequal. What was true in the 1860s and again in 1954 is true today. Equality requires acknowledgement of inequality, unquote. Ketanji Brown Jackson wrote, no one benefits from ignorance. Although formal race-linked legal barriers are gone, Race still matters to the lived experience of all Americans in innumerable ways, and today's ruling makes things worse, not better, unquote. The Chronicle of Higher Education wrote in a 2022 analysis by McKinsey and Company, quote, 
At the current rate, it would take colleges another 70 years to recruit enough Asian, Black, Latino, and Native American students for their enrollment to somewhat reflect America's demographics, unquote. So even, uh, even if we continued affirmative action, it would still take us 70 years to make things proper, properly equitable. But Roberts allows a sliver of light to penetrate the crack in the closed door. And here's another quote. Nothing in this opinion should be construed as prohibiting universities from considering an applicant's discussion of how race affected his or her life, unquote. In other words, if you personally interview an applicant or receive a detailed bio, and learn about a student's struggle with racial bias, you can ignore the law the Supreme Court just passed and that Roberts himself put into final words. It appears that his conscience got the better of his prejudice. And that is my, my statement for the day. Yeah, wow. Uh, a lot there to, uh, to go through. Uh, let me ask you, first of all, do you remember when President Kennedy first put in the uh, the initial, what your initial reaction was to President Kennedy's um, initial move? Actually, I don't remember much about that, uh, about that time, about that particular ruling. My attention was on, on other things at the time, but uh, you obviously do. No, no I, I wasn't born. I was um, I, I was I was born in '67. So, oh, I see. So you're you're trying to find out if I do remember the reaction. Yeah. Well, it it took um, it really took the uh, the Civil Rights Act itself uh, for anything to be done about it. Right, uh, Johnson. I, I think it was largely. Yeah, it was largely ignored, and then Kennedy was assassinated, of course, uh, and, uh, and Johnson then. Uh, carried the torch. I mean, he really did. Uh, we were all very skeptical that, uh, and of course, I was living in Rochester, New York at the time, uh, and all of us were very skeptical that Johnson could possibly be a, a, a good successor to John F. Kennedy. I mean, he was total, a totally different type of human being, but by golly, I mean, he carried on uh, uh, Kennedy's policies, and he was a, a good liberal uh, uh, president who uh, who was interested in uh, equal rights for everybody, despite the fact that he was from a, a southern state uh, belonging to the Confederacy, um, uh, and and of course he continued to be a decent president until he got entangled in the Vietnam War, and then all, everything went to hell, uh, and and the division in the country it's uh, because of the. Uh, vicious, violent opposition to the Vietnam War and later the discrimination against the veterans, the poor veterans uh, who came home, uh, all of that uh, dividing the country, that division has remained and become worse and worse. Uh, so unfortunately, uh, Johnson's, uh, uh, Johnson's pres presidency ended uh, very badly. Um, and I think resulted in uh, a, a string of, uh, of uh, Republican administrations uh, that set things uh, back considerably. 
but of course, that's my prejudice as a Democrat. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, it, so there you are. <laughs> you know, it, it's that, that's all I remember about the, about that. That nothing really uh, was done until Johnson insisted that 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 black girl who uh, who walked up to uh, the the high school, the uh, segregated high school uh, in Little Rock, was it not? Um, and was about to be attacked, uh, that she be protected uh, by the National Guard, and th that that all schools would be desegregated. Um, and so and so it was, and it was Johnson who achieved that, and it was based ultimately on that civil rights uh, executive order of John Kennedy's. You know. John uh, John Kennedy dying, uh, or dying, being murdered and uh, assassinated, uh, took so much attention off of uh, of everything else in the world that was going on in uh, well yeah. certainly in the country, and Johnson coming in and you know he he turned out to be a very liberal president but I think the um, the and progressive president I should say and and his policies. Um, could have made him, you know, one of the great presidents. Uh, and and again, right. I'm not I'm not passing judgment. I'm trying to. Uh, what I'm saying is that he could have gone down as a great president. Um, but it was the Vietnam War that uh, that didn't allow him to do so. I'm not saying I'm mocking him as a great president. But what I'm saying is the world, the press, the certainly the 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 hippie generation uh, that was coming after. The, the only thing that they did there wasn't. Um, to like about Johnson for that group, that progressive group, was the war. And it was the mm -hmm. war that dominated everything. And like you said, it led to, you know, other than a brief, re uh, brief respite with Jimmy Carter, which was, a, you know, which was a very um, disturbing presidency, right? It, he had a very rough time as, as president, a good man, a great ex-president, but, uh, but a rough time with his presidency. But it led to uh, a sandwich of Republican... Uh, victories, uh, you know, starting, of course, with Nixon, the two mm -hmm. landslide victories and um, Ford didn't get elected, but Ford, you know, followed Nixon, pardoned him. And because of that pardon, uh, loss to to Carter in, in a big way and probably would if he didn't pardon Nixon may have been um, may have been uh, elected uh, over Carter. Um, Watergate and uh, or no Watergate, it was the pardon probably that did it, and then of course Ronald Reagan with the four years followed by a the first Bush. Um, there are a lot of Texas in there, by the way, uh, starting with Johnson and, and ending with with Bush in that uh, in that uh, string. But you would never think that a senator from Texas would have uh, would have uh, pushed forward uh, affirmative action and and the civil rights. Uh, act uh, that that came out of him. It's a, a very unusual place for civil rights to to emerge. Yes, indeed, uh, it was almost miraculous. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and and then uh, Texas remained Democrat uh, for for quite a while until uh, Ann Richards, and then that was the end of it. Uh, she unfortunately uh, couldn't. Uh, she didn't uh, work very hard to be reelected uh, re because uh, uh, she had cancer and she died of it. Uh, and uh, so then began the uh, the Bush dynasty, 
um, and and so on. And and then we had the Iraq War thanks to that, uh, and under a pretext because uh, Iraq never had any weapons of mass destruction. Right. Uh, anyway, we. Uh, <laughs> That's a whole other subject. Yeah, no, no, no doubt about it. But getting back to affirmative action uh, and and the civil rights um, movement, um, uh, they they go hand in hand. And uh, it was uh, it, it was uh, I, I, the argument against affirmative action, of course, um, you know, still uh, still rules today and still uh, goes back and forth, becomes very polarizing. We are here. In New York, for example, a, uh, a, a police uh, officer candidate, someone taking a test, uh, gets an automatic uh, um, reward. I don't know what the uh, what the number is. I don't know if it's a 10-point uh, swing that they get. So, uh, and, and uh, if they're only taking people that get 95, let's say, and a, uh, a white uh, candidate uh, gets a 93, and an African-American candidate gets uh, an 85 plus the 10 points added, they get ahead of him, uh, get ahead of him or her um, who had scored higher, significantly higher on the test. And that's where, uh, and again, I'm not passing judgment on this, but that's where uh, people um, are, are, um, uh, are, you know, argumentative about, um, and this is where we hear it here, uh, people are argumentative about the uh, the unfair quote unquote advantage that an African American would uh, would have, but I think the affirmative action stance um, allowed us to get a more balanced and a more diverse police force that we would yes. have, uh, that we may not have had without it. So you know you got to look at the consequences, good and bad, that uh, that happened, and and you know people would say, hey, look, you know. Uh, I had a, uh, I had a disadvantage, but you know when you when you take a look at at white privilege, um, you, you know there's certainly a there, there's certainly an argument to be made on that side. You know that uh, that white men and women have a uh, have uh, a significant advantage from from day one, and I I don't think that has changed. In fact, um, for, as far as the civil rights movement, you could make an argument. That it it culminated in the election of President Barack Obama, um, mm -hmm. who I think I, the 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 greatest thing that happened with Barack Obama was that it put to get, it put to bed and and put to rest the idea that America would never elect a black man to be president of the United, of the United States, and there was a belief even going up to that election day, even though Obama was leading in the polls. Um, and uh, and and they thought, oh, this you know, this could be it. This could be it. Uh, it wasn't a certain victory because people thought there would be uh, the Bradley effect. And I don't know if you've heard that term, but Tom Bradley was uh, was the famous mayor of Los Angeles, who was very fame, you know, very popular and very famous. And they would poll um, Tom, uh, Tom Bradley, and uh, and you know, outside and and say, how would he do as the governor of of uh, California, and he would poll very, very well, and he would be like a shoe in And then when he would run for something like that, he would get crushed. And the only thing that mm -hmm. he, he really, you know, he, he got uh, that was a shoe in was uh, was the mayor of Los Angeles, which uh, it, you know you could you could see that. But what 
what they came to the conclusion, the uh, the pollsters came to the conclusion, and the political scientists and and the political types, uh, they said that's the Bradley effect. People will say in a poll because they're afraid to 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 um, show prejudice. They'll say I'm voting for Tom Bradley for governor. But when they go in the voting booth, they say I can't pull the vote, I can't pull the lever for the black man. And uh, and when Barack Obama was elected. 2008, uh, the the Bradley effect uh, went out the window. But there were a lot of people that that I was around that were thinking, you know, there's just no way at the end of the day that McCain's not the president of the United States. I was telling mm-hmm. people, I I this time I think it's different. And, and of course, Barack Obama won by an electoral landslide, and, yeah. and it forever put the end to the thought that that America was that small, that America was that petty. That because of a man's or, or a woman's uh, color of their skin, that they wouldn't vote for them for president of the United States. Right, uh, and also uh, I was in Germany at the time when the when the election took place, uh, and of course was able to vote anyway uh, by uh, um, absentee ballot or mail mailed in, uh, and um, uh, I watched the the broadcasts. On German TV, and the the crowd uh, when uh, when Obama gave his first speech, uh, they panned over the crowd, and there were a, a majority actually uh, of white people in that crowd. Yep. Uh, so it wasn't just black people who voted him in; it was everybody. Everybody just uh, adored him. <laughs> so, yeah, he, he yeah. was a game changer for sure. The other thing that. Uh, that that occurred that I thought uh, was a uh, you know was a great victory for America and again not passing judgment on 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 the different issues uh, there but the fact that the the Black Lives Matter uh, marches there were a lot of white faces in those marches and that's yes. some, that's something we didn't see in, in the '60s in the '60s when you saw. The hoses uh, being turned on, and the German shepherds chasing down uh, uh, men and women that were that were, uh, you know, their their constitutional right, uh, exercising a constitutional right to protest or to to march peacefully. Uh, they got sprayed with uh, with hoses, and they got uh, they got beat up by cops and everything else. Uh, when you look at that that newsreel footage, uh, they were they were black people that were getting uh, that were getting hosed there. You did not see white people um, getting the uh, getting the same treatment there. Uh, this time around, when when Black Lives Matter uh, started marching, you saw a lot of white faces in that crowd. You saw you know and, and it, uh, brown faces, black faces, but you saw a more unified group. That was speaking yeah. up, and and that I think that showed maturity on on America. the The election of Barack Obama, for sure, um, but also the, uh, the the what we've seen in recent years, where um, uh, where whites and blacks are joining hands together and and they're marching. The George Floyd um, situation, you saw a lot of um, a, a lot of white faces in those crowds. Uh, you know, almost as many as uh, as black faces in certain marches. And and I thought that was a, a a growing up of America. Yes, I agree. Uh, and also in the and uh, uh, the pro um, uh, pro Roe v. Wade uh, protests, uh, you see a lot of men. <laughs> yeah. So 
Right. Uh, so it's the same sort of thing, men, men and women together, uh, uh, protesting uh, the, uh, the taking away of, of women's rights. Uh, and that has happened with this same Supreme Court. Uh, so, yeah, so it seems to me that we're becoming more democratic, but it's not coming through in it, uh, however many states it is now. I, I should remember the number that are that have uh, uh, Republican administrations because they are so heavily ge uh, gerrymandered. You don't see uh, the uh, House of Representatives uh, being representative of the people in uh, certain states. Uh, it's a, it's a majority uh, Democratic voters, but they are gerrymandered in such a way that they don't uh, they, they're unrepresented by uh, by the uh, uh, Congress people uh, that are put up to be elected. It's simply impossible for a Democrat to be uh, elected anymore in in, uh, in states like Missouri and Arkansas. Uh, and difficult in, in Texas too. Uh, so, um, so the people are are much uh, further to the left. The people are more progressive uh, than the government in uh, Washington at this moment. Yeah, uh, no, you know, no question. Um, but again, one of the and it's it's for another conversation. But you you said uh, you know earlier about. Uh, a woman being 80, 80 cents on the dollar, uh, you know, in, in uh, equality. Uh, we're a long way away from uh, equality when, when we have that kind of disparity in, uh, in pay and, and everything else. But that's a whole other subject. Uh, we're, we're certainly not equal yet uh, when it comes down to it. I, I believe it's getting better. Um, but it was still a far way uh, before we're, we're equal as far as uh, the treatment of uh, of whites and blacks in America. That's right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and women are actually a, major, a majority. I think there are more females in in this country than there are males. Uh, but but the majority is not uh, uh, is not ruling. That's for sure. Um, it's being kept back. Uh, in many ways, it's just simply a knee-jerk prejudice. That's uh, when when people are when a CEO is hiring people, uh, he may very well uh, it'll be a he most likely, yeah. uh, and he will very well hire males rather than females who uh, apply for a job in his uh, in his firm, uh, and that's just simply uh, the way it is. I mean, uh, women are just not worth the same. Um, to, they're not worthy to the same degree that men are. Period. That's that's the way we're brought up. Somehow, it's in our blood. Yeah. We need we we have to work to get beyond that. You know, work a lot harder than men to get on the same equal footing. A whole lot harder. And yes, it's amazing. It's just amazing to me where um, where we still are. Uh, but I think we are moving in the right direction. And I, I imagine when my children grow up, uh, they're from 31 years old to, to 20, down to 20 years old. Uh, <coughs> I imagine my adult children, my uh, mine and my wife's adult children, will see a much better world than, than we saw. Um, but again, uh, a divided world. And, and we'll be talking about that as we move forward. Um, as you can see, we're not certainly not in a perfect world.
That's that's correct. Yeah, yeah, and it, it bothers me that young women um, uh, who who talk to uh, to us from TV and so on seem to be oblivious of the fact <laughs> that uh, they are not given the same uh, opportunities to thrive as uh, as their male uh, uh, cohorts or uh, uh, comrades uh, coming out of college, um, their opportunities are not uh, as many and as good as those uh, offered to their male uh, classmates. So, yeah, we have a ways to go still. Well, Doc, great job, as always, uh, you know, getting this this standpoint across and um you know whether people agree with you or disagree with you i feel uh, i feel a lot of people listening will agree with you but whether they agree or disagree i no one could argue uh, that uh, the argument you make is logical and and certainly not not self-serving in any way it's um uh, well done just well done and i say the same for the george wills of the world and uh, and you know many of the people making the intellectual argument on the on the Republican uh, Republican side, uh, as long as it's <laughs> thought out and and whatever, I, I think people have to listen to other sides, and you certainly do that. You do that, and I congratulate you on that. Yes, I do try. Mm-hmm. Well, great job, and uh, uh, to everyone out there, we we very much appreciate um, you listening each and every week. Frank McKay signing off. We'll see you next time on the Florence Weinberg Show.